Thank you for listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-hosts tonight are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out their company, visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Our guest tonight is going to be Mike Kep from the southern Wisconsin, Pewaukee area. Uh, we're going to try to run down seasonal tactics, trolling, midsummer. Talk a little bit about hot water, kind of what's going on on the Pewaukee, Southern Wisconsin front. And uh, that's about it. So, Brad, Carrie, you guys getting out, doing any musky fishing? Things cool enough to even musky fish over there by you guys or not so much? Yeah, you know, it, it's been kind of weird, Jeff. We've had some days where it, it pushes into that 80-degree water, but uh, we've had some weather and things have changed a little bit. So we've been able to get out on the water and... Um, I don't know. It's been three days since I've been out. I'm a little bit concerned that it climbed up over the weekend, but uh, we'll be back out again shortly. So hopefully we'll see what, what's going on. The way it sounds, water temps are okay. Um, below that 80 degree, like 77 degrees. So it's it's time to go. Yeah, I would say for a lot of people, it's probably going to be pretty close. I'm assuming that the southern Wisconsin people and southern half of our state, they're definitely not going fishing yet. My assumption is it's still too warm. I know the northern section of Wisconsin's gotten a lot of rain, a lot of storms. I know I just came from there this, this afternoon. We had major storms come through last night. Uh, the guy at the campground said they got six inches of rain. And I know by being in the water, the water temperatures are definitely cooler, much cooler than they were in the beginning part of July. So... That being said, I'll probably get a chance to actually go fishing again one of these times because I don't know. It's I'm not even sure when the last time I had a musky rod in my hand. I'm guessing it was probably it's probably pretty close to a month. So that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it really is, Jeff. You know, I mean, that's this is not something that we would normally deal with, but hey, it happens. And the neat thing is, is that musky anglers pretty much everywhere out there, they definitely are concerned about the fish and they'll shut it down when they have to. So that's a good thing. And, you know, if you look at the 10-day right now where we're sitting, there's going to be a lot of cool evenings where the water or the air temps are down in the 60s. That's definitely going to help. And as long as we have some wind, we'll we'll probably be okay. Absolutely. You guys got any uh, housekeeping items to talk about? Any new YouTube videos? Anything going on that way on your front or nothing? What's up? No, you know, our plans definitely, Jeff, are to release those YouTube videos um, later in the season, like when we're not fishing. So at this time of the year, it gets a little bit troublesome. And basically, we're uh, we're just building baits and shipping orders and fishing in between. So, or at least I'm fishing. Um, yeah, I just build baits. <laughs> I'm aware. Uh, kind of like Mel. She just ships baits. But I haven't been doing any fishing lately. I'm definitely not in the Brad category lately. I've been in the shop way too much. Like, way <laughs> too much. Not anywhere close to last summer. Mel was in a lot rougher shape last summer. Speaking of building baits, we got a big order from Musky Mayhem Tackle in recently. We've gotten a bunch of bulldogs in recently. Chaos Tackle, Medusas, Bobby Baits. Should have some Suix coming here pretty soon, so... Just so everybody knows, we're still trying to load up our website with as much gear as we can get. So we appreciate all everybody that's come out and 
spent some money with us and shopped with us and shared some pictures of some fish they caught on custom colors that we carry. So we thank you all for that. Brad and Carrie, you got anything new that way on going on with your website? Anything up? Clothing? Anything that you need to talk about? Well, we both hope to share some new stuff here shortly, but uh, at this point, no. Let's uh, let's shift gears, get Mike on the phone, and see if we can't uh, do a podcast. Let's do that. All right. Our guest tonight is Mike Kep with Mike's Extreme Guide Service. Mike primarily guides in the southern Wisconsin area, the uh, Milwaukee area, I would say mostly. He's got roughly 40 years of experience in the guide business. So, Mike, thanks for taking some time out of your out of the, your day to come talk musky fishing with us for, for an hour or so. We really appreciate it. How are things going today? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, things are going pretty good. Should be back on the water within a couple of weeks. So, looking forward to that. We're going to cool down coming next week. So, looking forward to it. Getting a lot of stuff done around the house and kind of getting tired of working around the house. So, good to talk fishing with you guys. I think we're all looking forward to a little bit of cool down. It's one of those things where musky fishermen aren't always looking for cold fronts, but I think in this instance, most of us are. Yeah, just a cool down would be nice. Give us some cool nights. Yep. So, Mike... First time guest on the podcast. How about you? The general deal for us is we kind of just have you kind of lay out your background a little bit. What kind of got you into musky fishing? What got you into guiding? If you could, why don't you give us a little background for the listeners so they kind of have an idea, you know, who you are and where you came from? You bet. Well, I grew up in Pewaukee Lake. I'm 59 years old. I was lucky enough to live on the lake every summer of my whole life. My parents had a cottage on there, so we spent the whole summer at the cottage, fish, played, everything. Never really got into muskies, was always into catching carp and all the fun stuff fighting until one day this muskie grabbed a bluegill I was catching. Fly fishing, get a bluegill, and a muskie got it. It broke my line. It irritated me. And then I went and bought a couple little Rapalas, started casting them, and actually caught one. And it was the funniest fish I've ever caught. And it just, it just kind of went on from there. So... It was nice doing it. Um, I really didn't start guiding full-time until around the time the PMT went a little before that. I mean, financially-wise, as, as a paid guide, I should say. Otherwise, I've always had a boat and always put people fishing, growing up. I was the guy that always took other people out. Then the PMTT came to Pewaukee, and I thought, wow, would that be cool? So got in on that, and once I started doing that, it just steamrolled, and started taking people out, got my guide license, and just really enjoyed seeing people really get into these fish. I mean, the, the battles and, and the, the know-how and, and everything about them, it was just so cool teaching people the stuff. And, you know, for a while there as a guide, you know, you, you kind of like, I don't know if I want to teach people all this stuff. And I got grief from other friends, like, why would you teach people all this stuff just for a few bucks? You know what? I mean, 40 years of doing this, it's not even really, you know, the money is the money because it helps pay the bills and, you know, all your equipment and everything else. But truly deep down, it is just so cool to take people out and watch how they interact with the fish and how they just get into it and they absorb everything you're teaching them. And I mean, from how you're catching them, to why you're catching them and how to handle them and the best way to do photos and learn the lake and, it's just, it's just a very cool thing, you know, and it just, 
but it's just grown and grown and grown. And now it's to the point where it's, it's almost too much. You know, it's, it's a blast and I love it, but kind of takes over your life. You know, cause that's all you, that's all you're doing because you know, these repeat people that are coming up and you're getting ready for this and then these guys and these guys and these guys. And now it's just, you know, it's not the days go by. Now it's like the weeks are flying by. So I generally, I really, really love guiding and it's just fun teaching people. There's, there's so many different people that are in, into musky fishing right now. I mean, there's the younger kids, the younger generation that are getting into it. Then there's uh, the more retired, older generation that's getting into it. And then there's the people that have never tried it before, but like to try it. And they're a rewarding thing. Uh, it's, it's been a great career and don't look for it. I mean, it's, I'm still rolling full steam ahead. It's great. I retired from my regular job. So 34 years there and now I just snow plow in the winter and guide in the summer and do a little guiding in the winter. So great time. I would, Lake. I would imagine that probably one of the best things you could do as a guide is to get somebody on their first muskie and, and get them, you know, hooked, so to speak on muskie fishing. I mean, yeah, is it still just as much fun for you to do that today as it was 40 years ago? Actually, it's more fun. It really is. As the more I go out, the more people I take, I generally just really get into watching the people and their feelings and how cool it is. And just, you know, it's just, it's it's the rewarding part of it. It, it. It's really, really neat. You know, it's not really the first muskie. It's to get dialed in. And just when people leave the boat, they learned, you know, the, um, the proper boat side stuff, like figure eights. Unbelievable how many people, when you see them, you know, they do the first figure eight or whatever. And it's this figure eight that's about as wide as your feet. And it's about a foot wide. You know, it's just tight little figure eight. And I, and I'm, I'm more of an oval guy. What I do is when I bring the bait in, Pewaukee Lake is such an overfished, crazy lake with pressure that if you bring a lure in and you bring it to the boat, one foot underneath the surface right to the boat, half of the fish are going to turn off. They're just that boat shy here. Now, if you bring that lure in, as, you're, as that lure gets to where you can first see it out there, maybe 10, 15 feet out, you drop your rod tip down in the water about two feet below the surface. Okay, you bring it all the way into the boat, go into your L, along the boat, go all the way along the boat, right next to the boat, down two feet deep, three feet deep, and then you make a nice wide turn and bring it up to the surface. So you get that high outside turn, half the fish will eat it right there. And then what a perfect way to set the hook when that fish eats it just to bring that lure right back into the corner of his mouth and, and rod tip down. It's just, it's so cool when they learn that and to watch them do it and say, man, I can't wait to try this when I get out again. I can't wait to show my buddy. Just one little thing like that, you know, it's just one thing after another, after another, you teach these people and they just, they just soak it in and they're just, their confidence builds. And, you know, by the time they leave the boat, they're just like, wow, this was awesome. I, I can't believe it. And you mark the map up for me. You go, I can't, you know, and they're just, they're so confident and so happy when they leave. It's just, I go home and the wife's like, how was it? And I said, man, awesome people tonight. Really cool people. And she goes, you say that like all the time. I'm like, just, I don't know. It's fun. Everyone asks about when you had a bad guide trip. I think I've only had one. And the guy was 
some Russian guy that he did the space shuttle testing facility or whatever. And it's a long story, but the guy didn't listen to me. And his wife in the back of the boat, which I guide out of the back with a long, you know, foot paddle. And he blew like four or five fish. And she caught four muskies from the back of the boat. And he took the front the whole time and blew them all. And she caught four from the back of the boat. She never musky fished before in her life. But she listened to everything I told her. And she was just flawless. It was great. And the guy, the guy goes to me, he goes, you know, normally I'd give a tip, but I didn't catch nothing. I said, I'll give you a tip. Always listen to your guide. Your wife just caught four muskies from the back of the boat. You probably could have caught five or six, but you didn't listen. He would bring the lure in and stop reeling. So the lure would sink for a, a bucktail. So the lure would sink. And he thought it looked like a dying fish. And in his mind, the fish should ate it. It's just the opposite. If you stop your lure and slow it down, they hit the brakes and they're out of there. Something ain't right because that lure should be taken off. Anything they follow and want to eat is usually trying to get away. And if you bring that lure and speed it up and pull it away, that fish is going to eat it. I learned that a long time ago. Free fishing cave run back in 2000. Ripping that lure away from these fish so they couldn't get it. And they were eating it. Danny Peckles looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I tried to pull it away. Honestly, Danny, he's yelling at me. Well, then he did the same thing to another one. We learned a long time ago. Speed triggers. Doesn't matter if it's spring or whatever. When that fish thinks that bait's trying to get away, they're going to eat it. And this guy would not believe me. But his wife absolutely believed me, did everything I told her, and she just had a day. So I t- I'll give you a tip. Trust your guide. <laughs> it's funny you say that about women listening to you because I've heard from, you know, a few guides that I talked to that typically they said that the women are better listeners when it comes to when they come to their guides. They listen to what we had to say. They don't think they know it all and and they uh, they end up having a lot of success because of it. Absolutely. hundred percent believe that. You know, maybe not all of them. You'll get some stubborn ones, you know, but for the most part, yeah, you're right because they're just there. They want to learn. You know, whenever you get a husband-wife team that gets in a boat that really, because around here, Lake Country area, there's a lot of people that live on the lake. And what they'll do is they'll hire me, and I said, well, you live on the lake? And they'll tell me where, and I'm like, well, where about? Since I snowplow the whole lake, I, I pretty much know where, but well, and real estate. We've owned a real estate company since 1946, when my dad started at 41. Some wife and brother do it, so pretty much know everybody around the lake here. And, oh, I'll pick you up at your pier. They're like, what? You'll do that? Absolutely. I lake to their pier, pick them up, take them on the trip, drop them off at their pier. How cool is that? But the women do listen better than the men. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, let's uh, let, let's avoid that topic unless Carrie wants to weigh, weigh in on it. Brad, how is Carrie as a listener? Is she pretty good? <laughs> uh, if, it, if it's coming from somebody other than me, how's that sound? But you know, what's funny is there's, there's no question about it. I don't care if you pick up a bow or a a rifle, women listen to every detail and they're really, really refined. They definitely will, um, will outschool you when it comes to listening. And I, I love having women clients. It's, it's a lot of fun because they, they're intimately involved in what you're selling them, you know? So you're exactly right, Mike. And, and, uh, every time that they are in the boat, 
they're probably going to be the ones that score if there's something that has to be done when it comes to, to motivating a fish to eat. Well, let's, uh, moving on, let's talk about, I think tonight we were going to talk mostly about Pewaukee Lake, or, I mean, southern Wisconsin, Pewaukee mostly, because that's where Mike spends a lot of his time, but these this could be applied to almost anywhere. I think we're just going to kind of break down, you know, a lot of it season by season almost. So, Mike, let's, I know we're past, you know, springtime and, you know, whatever, but let's talk a little bit about springtime muskies. I think we'll stop a little bit more and spend more time in the more relevant areas for this time of the season, but let's talk springtime muskies. Typically, when the season starts, what are you looking for out there? Well, typically around here, when the season starts, what happens is the muskies here are usually probably 50% in the spawn. You know, there's some that came in a tad early. There's some that are just spawning. They're getting all beat up. And there's some that haven't even came in yet. So that's basically opening weekend around here. So opening weekend, the males are very active. Twitch baits, like slammers and cranes, awesome baits. Uh, baby depurators, stuff like that. Any minnow bait, twitch, with pauses. Pauses is the key. They're not ripping speed and anything like that. It's it's the pauses that are actually getting them. So opening weekend, say gliders are good, like a reef hog is really good. Um, um, the main thing is a slammer minnow bait is probably hands down the best bait around here. I mean, it's no secret, and I'm happy to say it because Bill's a great guy and makes a great affordable bait. So it's just, that's my favorite bait, you know. So that's really good. Gliders catch the bigger fish but they're a little harder to get to bite. You know, you get that fish coming in on a glider, and what do you do in the last four feet before that fish gets to the boat is kind of your best shot at getting them. Because once they get to the boat on a glider and they're right there, it's like, eh, it's almost like they know the boat's there, but they're still a little dumb early in the spring. Uh, you kind of, a couple hard twitches, and let that pause, and maybe a little head sink. That'll get them to go on gliders. The other thing is live bait. Not too many people use live bait in the spring. It is huge. Put a six to eight inch, six, seven, eight inch sucker out. Quick strike rig, put it on a bobber or hang it over the side of the boat. It's very good. Now, there is times where the suckers don't work as good as casting. Like this year was really weird. I probably had more fish casting than didn't even care about suckers. And then other years, and they'll have a double. I had a triple one year. Three fish in the boat. I had three suckers out, two guys casting. All three suckers got hit all at the same time. One got, one got hit, netted that one, and then my son grabbed the rod, set the hook on one. That was a 40-incher, and there was a 36. So we had a 35, a 36, and a 40 in the boat at exactly the same time, all within, I'd say, probably three minutes. So do suckers work? Yeah, they work. I think I've had five doubles that we've actually had both fish in the net at the same time opening weekend. So the fuckers work. Right? You know, don't, don't overkill with giant hooks and all this extra hardware and stuff, but thin wire leaders, smaller, thin needle sharp hooks, smaller suckers, and don't let them have it too long. You know, you're starting to watch these shows where guys are like, just wait, just wait, just wait. Not with little suckers. You know, once they get them in their mouth, that's all. So those work really good. As the water warms up, like maybe 
two weeks into the season, which I would still consider springtime. You know, we're not even in Memorial Day weekend yet. And they're starting to go for little bucktails, spinner baits, stuff like that. Maybe even a top water, a small top water. But for the most part, that minnow bait is your go-to. Don't even need you could. I take three rods. I put a glider on, a minnow bait on, and a spinner bait on, and throw a sucker out. And that's worked every year and has for. I'm 59 years old. I think I did it probably. I think I think it was 13 when I caught my first musky musky fishing, but I caught a few others earlier. So that's pretty much the skinny down here for for spring. You know, the first three weeks of the season, then once Memorial Day gets here, then we get into the more traditional stuff, and that's kind of what I would kind of consider more early summer pattern. And then so, on you know, with the Pewaukee Lake, for people that don't know, it's very, it's kind of like split into two lakes. One's very shallow, one side is, one's very deep. Sure. Do you, I'm, I'm assuming both sides carry have muskies in them all the time? Um, absolutely. Yeah, actually the, the, what happens is in the winter time, there is a lot of fish that winter in the deep water, but there is fish on the Eastern half of Pewaukee Lake. Okay. There's the Western basin that tops off at about 45 feet deep. And then it's got a good weed line all the way around it. Now the far West end has got a big, big weed bed, kind of like a bay type thing. The whole West end is just a giant weed bed. So that would be considered you know, like the far, far western basin is really good in spring. Me and Joel Michael, we had when we caught five and raised fifty-one in a day and a half one year out there, just just on that western basin on that far west end. So there's a ton of fish down there. Now it's divided by the center part we call the narrows. So it's kind of like an hourglass: big deep on one side, back down in the middle, and big on the other end. The other end is basically nine to nine to seven feet on average and full of weeds and that get really choked out like during the summer. So it's really, really actually good that they hit that east end hard for the first three weeks of the season because a lot of those fish, you know, they're they're untargetable by mid June because the weeds grow up so tall. It just gets so thick, you can't even fish it. I had a 50, 51 inch. I worked for about a week and a half trying to get that girl to go. And multiple people saw her, and that was way deep on the east end where guys normally wouldn't even fish, but there's some beautiful cabbage coming up. Actually, the whole east end is really starting to look good because the weed growth has actually declined this year. And what's happening is the zebra mussels are attaching to all the milfoil stems. That's really crazy because you got an invasive species attacking another invasive species. And what's happening is once they get enough zebra mussels on the weeds, it drags the weed to the bottom and kills it. So it's, what's happening is the zebra mussels are actually killing the milfoil and all this curly pond weed, uh, all kinds of different cabbage and all these good weeds are starting to show up all over Pewaukee Lake. So the eastern half is really getting good compared to years ago. I fished the Eastern Basin probably exclusively till probably the second week of June. I didn't even fish anywhere on the west side, which normally that's where everyone goes. So yeah, the Eastern end is kind of kind of a, a springtime sleeper. It's the time to fish it. And then as you know, Memorial Day rolls in and you start getting into summer, 
and the bluegills are done spawning, everything starts to slide out a little deeper. And the problem with the east end is you can't finish it because basically if you don't burn a bucktail over the, you know, the top one foot of the water, it's very hard to cast. And you got all these little uh, grasses and weeds coming all the way to the surface and then laying over on the surface. So you can't even run a surface bait in some of these areas. But yeah, the eastern end is very good early in spring. And then basically from probably the 4th of July on, I leave it alone until ice fishing. And then I go back to the east end. Well, so I know you. the one thing you mentioned there was bait fish sliding out. Let's talk about that. I'm assuming sure. bait, bait fish are pretty much going to be one of your key components for you tracking down fish in what I would say probably probably this time of year, your, your midsummer to, I'd still say it's probably still midsummer pattern, but from like right now yeah, until, absolutely. you know, until the things start to cool off a little bit in August, I'm assuming bait fish are your primarily, that's what you're chasing down. Cause I'm guessing your tactic is mostly going to be trolling. Is that right? Yeah, there's, there's two things that you have to watch as the lake gets warmer. Okay, it's come Memorial Day. That's when, you know, all the spawning is done. All the bass are done. Everything's done spawning. The carp, everything are moving out. And what happens is you start, basically, when you get to the pier to launch your boat, take a good look in the water. If you don't know any lake, okay, say you don't know any lake, you're on a new lake, you get to the launch, look around in the water. Do I see any bluegills? If I still see bluegills on beds, and, and around the shorelines, I'm going to cast. Now, if you go out there and you don't see a bluegill anywhere around, you look at the beds and they're all old, now what I'm thinking is deep weed edge. Okay, it's very, I mean, it, it's amazing how people, a lot of it is, I don't want to sound, you know, common sense. Okay, if you go out and you don't see any bluegill beds and you don't see any fish in the shallow, say you go casting and you're trying shallow and you don't, really see any sign of bait, I would immediately go all the way out to the outside weed edge because these fish are going to be in the weeds. Now, they were there last week or so. So what I do, as soon as you stop seeing the people with the bobbers, you know, just hammer them. Guys are hammering crappies in spring. Okay, that's a, that's a great sign of a great place to be. It's usually going to be rocky with some weeds close by, chasing the deep water, great spot to target muskies. Okay, now the bluegills are in the hardcore. Well, now the muskies are in there too because when the, when the whole cycle of spawning, the muskies, and then after the muskies are the smallmouth, and after the smallmouth are the largemouth, and then the bluegills and the carp kind of come in around the same time as the largemouth. And when they're done, everything kind of leaves the shallows and starts sliding out into these weed beds. All the food is in the weeds. The weeds are growing good now. Everything's great. The water temperatures, you know, get warm. Everything's active. But now we're, say, we're, say we're in the mid-70s, okay? Now the water's getting a little warm in the shallows for some of these fish, so they're starting to work outer edges of the weeds, and they're starting to work off the weed beds and starting to work the flats. Now's the time I think about trolling. So now the clients that hire me in, like, late June and July, the people that know me and use me for a while, they love coming in the last two weeks of June because you can go out early in the morning or late in the evening and start casting. Okay. Early in the morning, you'd start casting at first light. And then what happens is you start these fish, you start not seeing them as good anymore. You know, about eight, nine o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden you're not getting as many follows and 
you know, they don't want to come up after the bait as much. You're breaking off a little early. Out the time, I said, oh, you guys take a break. So I'm going to drop some baits in. We'll do a little trolling. Now I go down the weed lines, use my side imaging, and I just keep my boat 20, 25 feet off the, off the hard weed edge, put that inside rod high up, put another one down a little deeper, and put two on the outside, one deep and one out farther. Can't run boards because of all the floating weeds around here. So what happens is by 9, 10 o'clock, the trolling bite's great because these fish pull off, they start setting up on the outside edge of the weeds, and whoever was casting, maybe a little tired, them or their wife, them or their kid, or a couple kids, or dad, or grandpa, now they can enjoy a little trolling and a little casting. So come the end of June, most of the fish are actually starting to leave the weed beds, and they're actually schooling up, they're on the flats, and they're working out the deeper water. Now they're starting to work like the breaks, um, some of the flats that got points, they'll, they'll stay by the points and the weeds by the points and the outside of the big bays adjacent to deeper water, they start schooling around and hanging out there. That's where all the game fish are. They're all there hanging out too. So that's when I, usually right around the 4th of July, trolling starts getting really good. And this year was no exception. It was the third week of June and just trolling just started really working good because with the heat, when them fish left the shallows, there was a giant migration. I mean, it was like a week long. There was just bluegills everywhere, huge schools moving out. All these muskies moved out with them, and it was just easy pickings. But then the high water temps came, and we kind of got shut down. So all these fish have kind of got a break because I'd have to say 80, maybe 90% of, of the hardcore muskie guys shut it down that first week and pretty much are laying off. You know, there's guys trickling out here and there, but it's, uh, it kind of, you know, it, we had such a good thing going and it just, and just, it just shut off where or we shut it off. Just wasn't fair. You know, it just, everything was falling into place. Everything was working so good. And then, you know, it's, we just had too much heat too long, too fast. Uh, we're kind of in that break section right now and really looking forward to getting back out probably in another week. It won't be that much longer. Next week looks really good. I mean, we got lows in the, in the low 60s and then maybe low 80s for the highs. That's no problem. You're going to drop two degrees every day. It'll, it'll probably go up another degree, but then you'll drop two more degrees and then it'll go up one more degree and you gradually get down to where it's you know, okay to target them. Now you got to remember when you're a guide, these people might've caught their first muskie, their biggest muskie, their most muskies. They want a picture, you know, and, and I've taken people out where I water release only and they're okay with it, but it's not the same. You know, if you take your son out and he catches his first muskie, you, you want to get a picture of it. So that's why I choose just to take a break because if I can't do what I want to do for them, without feeling like I'm actually hurting the resource, exploiting it. I just shut it down and just tell them we can do it later. So it does hurt. There's a lot of guys that don't, don't take that phone call lately. They're not happy about it. You know, most of them are, and they thank me for being good about it. I thank them for being good about it. You talked about trolling. And I know trolling is a very big part of your, your tactics that you use, especially this time of year on Pewaukee. 
you let's talk a little bit about gear you know um rods reels line type of stuff not a lot of time on it i don't want to waste a ton of time but for guys that are new new to musky angling or or just thinking about doing some trolling what's some stuff that they should look at be thinking about having in their arsenal as far as like i said those types of things rods reels line you know like what do you what do you use i know there's obviously braid and there's you know mono what what do you prefer as far as lines are concerned yeah, there's actually, there's really no right exact thing. I actually have two different setups. The one setup I have is I run 17-pound P-Line Premium XX. It's a super, it's a copolymer line. It's a super heavy-duty, abrasive-resistant line that is, if you do a, uh, a stretch test or a weight test on it, it's incredible. It's like 80% over what it's lifted at. I just had a buddy that got a spool at 20 pounds and he's just like, man, is this stuff seeing nice? I'm trying to break it. Good luck. Well, what I do for that, that's better for the smaller baits. The rods I use, don't use too stiff of a rod. Okay, early in the season, start out with smaller baits. Uh, Bill's four inch slammer is a great one. Um, I've used a lot of bagleys. It's really hard to get a good bagley nowadays because they're basically they're cheap bass lures that the hooks pull on them. Uh, they're a dangerous lure to use, but if you got your drag set right and you're really careful about netting the fish, because that's where most of the lures get destroyed in the net. You get a big, powerful fish, and he's got a hook in one mouth, and the hook's in the net in the other, and he's thrashing and spinning, and he rips the hooks out of it. It's junk. So, But there's a lot of baits. Um, the Pilot ET-16s is one that I used for years that was was good in, in early months, but for the most part, baby depth raiders, are really good out there. Uh, Full-size separators, obviously, are really good. There's so many baits that, you know, thunder sticks. I've used thunder sticks for walleye fishing. You know, if they're a thunder stick, they think it's a little perch. Well, how many musky guys use a thunder stick? Nobody does, you know? So little things like that. I get a bunch of different baits that I use, and it all depends on the conditions, okay? Now, as you get out of like what I'm saying, that late June bite and get into July where the fish are moving deeper and they're in that open water and you're getting away from the weed lines and you got to let more line out, go a little deeper. I generally run anywhere from 12 to 15 feet when I start trolling. Okay. And I don't care how deep the water is. The fish are in that upper column. Now, most of the drop-offs on Pewaukee are 15, 16, 17 foot and they drop into 30 something. So I start working them breaks which a lot of fish relate to and you got to use your graph and a little bit of smarts. Now, if it's bright, sunny and calm, the fish are going to slide off the brakes a lot quicker than they normally would. If it's windy and cloudy, you can hammer them things most of the day there. You know, so there's different setups. Now, when I go to the bigger lures, full size separators, musky trained diesels, um, Ernie, the little, the little Ernie's and the big Ernie's. So they're both great baits too. They got their place. It's funny how the lures change with water temperature. Just a few extra degrees of water temperature, I've noticed, will shut down certain lures, and other lures will just start thriving. It's really crazy with all the lures. I mean, if you came walking in and you looked at all the lures I got, all the boxes and stuff, and you're like, are you kidding me? I'd be like, yeah, well, them three boxes, all of one bait, all different colors and stuff, that was all in the boat two weeks ago. They won't be back in the boat until probably October again. What? 
Well, that's it. Just I found out that certain water temperatures just seem to prefer certain baits. Now, why? I don't know. This is just fishing year after year after year, so many days, and and everything I've learned is just what works. Now, what works for me might not work for someone else, but anyways, with the trolling rod. So once you get into the bigger lures, I go to 50-pound braid, and I run steel leaders. Now, when I use the copolymer line, it's a super line. That's not a mono. You can't, good luck trying to break it like you can a mono. Not even close. It's a super, it's a super mono is what it is. And actually, it's the thickest copolymer line per size. So I'm not really trying to get thin and go deep, which is why I go to braid. When you go to braid, that cuts through the water faster, and so does wire leaders. Cuts through the water faster and quicker, so you can get that bait down faster. Now, the problem with most people do with trolling is they let too much line out. Now, their lure is going to be too deep. You, you, the, the whole thing with trolling is put your bait exactly where the fish are. I'm not talking three feet below them and three feet above, but we've always heard they'll come up and get it. It's weird how, how picky these fish are. You see them on the graph. You see they're down 15 feet, and I know I'm running my bait down at least 13, 14 feet, and I go, all right, I'll come back 10 more feet of line out. Well, you think 10 feet. I mean, I'm using an eight-and-a-half-foot rod. That's not, you know, it's only a foot-and-a-half more line than the length of my rod, and it makes that much difference on a bait, but I'll go through and I'll get them. It's just, it's absolutely crazy how specific you have to be to constantly put fish in a boat. It's just, I mean, most people think trolling is easy. You see all this, uh, ah, you just cast it out and you drive. I just laugh. Honest to God, it is so much easier to cast for them as a guide and a guide for people that are casting than trolling. Because trolling, you're constantly changing baits, you're changing line lengths, you're, you're changing positions, you know, which one goes higher, which one goes lower, a little, little more line out than this, a little less on that, kick up the speed two-tenths of a mile an hour, let's see what that happens. You know, go into the wind, go downwind. There's so many variables in trolling that it's so much more harder to be consistent trolling. I mean, I get it. You could throw a rod out there and put the boat in gear and, you know, go three, three and a half miles an hour and troll up a fish. Yeah, this is easy. Yeah, okay. You know, so anyways, but what I was saying, the bigger lures with 50 pounds, 50, you know, even 65, you can get away with a braid. I like to go with 50 because it cuts through the water very quick. Now, the shorter the amount of line you can put out to get your lure in that desired depth, the more fish you're going to catch. Why? Because that lure's action is so crisp because you don't have all this extra line drag in the water. Guys always ask, well, I, I put the same amount of line you did out, but I, I haven't caught one yet. I'm using the same lure and the same everything, and I'm like, well, what are you running for line? What are you running for leader? How long is your rod? How, de how deep is your rod in the water? You know, because down here, if you don't troll with your rod tips in the water, you, <laughs> you're going to be you'll be picking weeds off your lure every 15 minutes because there's floating weeds all over the lake all the time. Unless you get a really, really strong wind for four days, it's terrible. You know, all the boat traffic this year with people driving around and water skiing and tubing, it's the worst I've ever seen it. Guy asked me, don't you ever run boards? I said, yeah, I got four on the boat right here. I haven't put them in in two years. You just can't. 
because of all the floating leaves. Is there something that you do on your line, or is there anything, aside from the rod tips in the water, do you put anything on your lines to, to come back? No, there's, there's a couple of guys. Danny Bush, um, he, he had a lot of people putting on that red. It's a red little rudder. It's like a little rudder system. It's got the small piece of wire in a, in a plastic rudder. It's probably about two inches by two inches. And then it, it's actually got a, a piece of wire going through one end of it. You tie on one end, and you tie your leader, or you tie on another line on the other end and then you tie your leader, you know, it's, it's, it, what it would do is it would, it would catch the weeds like up in green Bay. The guys do that. They put like weed catchers. Yep. The thing about down here is when these fish move down, like right now, if I went out right now, I would target these fish between 17 and 19 feet because that's right where the thermocline is. I'd be fishing the top of the thermocline. Now, I can't do it now because I, I feel the water's too warm to be dragging them up into it. But that is what I were where I would need to be to put fish in the boat consistently. Now, if I did that with a rudder system, I, I, I don't know what it's called. I guess they call it a rudder or, or a weed guard or whatever. You gotta remember, if you get any weeds going down the line and get on there, that's line drag in the water. Now, just picture a couple weeds going down and hit that rudder. And that lure is diving down, say it's down 15, 16 feet. Now you get some weeds on it. Them weeds are actually going to cause that lure to come up higher in the water column. Because just uh, the amount of drag on your line and the rudder is going to lift that lure up. So really, yeah, you just help them get weeds on your lure, but your lure is not where it should be. So it, 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 it kind of doesn't help. You know, it, it does in a way. If you're only fishing, you know, four to six foot down, like say Green Bay, you're trolling up there, you're basically fishing in the middle of the water column and you're based only down four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, maybe. So now that, that little bit of weed isn't going to make a difference. But if you're targeting a specific depth where these fish are, that fish doesn't need to eat your lure. It's going to eat that blue, that giant school of bluegills right in front of them or that school of perch right next to them, down below them. But in school of crappies, that's just out a little deeper. They can eat any of that. The way you have to catch them around here is you have to put it right in front of their face and consistently do it and just piss them off, and they'll do it. I went over a fish four times one time before I got that fish to eat. I mean, that fish was there. I went over it. I came back. I made two lure changes, came over it again, went back, put the lures deeper, went over it again, made another lure change, went over again, and I caught it. And it was in the same exact spot. I could see it on my graph. It was right on a drop-off on this little point. It took me four times to catch that fish. You know, now why didn't he eat any of the other lures? You know, because I didn't have one close enough. It's like a bondy bait. You're digging it in front of their face. Just You can just piss them off. Are they eating it because they're really hungry? No, you're just pissing them off. Like a topwater. It's like gas from a topwater going over when they just can't handle it sometimes. They just blast it because they're mad. So multiple things with, with trolling setup. I use LC-27. Um, a lot of guys run the 47s. They're just a little bigger. They're heavier. And I think it's unbeated because, you know, basically they're not running 100 feet of line and all that stuff out. There is guys that will, you know, whatever your line, you do have to run more line out. But if you put 50-pound braid out, and the average crankbait, you know, you're only running anywhere between, I think there's times where I run 30 feet of line, depending on how deep the fish are. But very rarely, 
I don't think I've ever had a hundred on my line counters in years. You know, so it's not the it, it it's what it takes to get that lure to a specific depth. You know, and I've tried sound riggers, snap weights, all that stuff. The only problem with snap weights is when you start messing with the speed, that also is, you know, how deep your lure is going. Because if you're going three miles an hour with a lure and a line length, and then you go three and a half miles an hour, that lure is going to go deeper at three and a half miles an hour. That's going to get more dive on it. So there's just, there's so many variables with trolling, what to do, what to use. You know, sometimes I think it, it's not necessary to lure. It's knowing what depth, what speed that lure should be at. That's more critical than, say, the lure. You know, say uh, a musky train diesel. That's a big, heavy, I shouldn't say heavy. It's just a big block of wood that pushes a lot of water and it's very buoyant. That lure is so, so speed sensitive that if you're not going the right speed with the right amount of line, you know, that lure is not where you want it. Now, either you're going to let more line out, you know, if you're going at a slower speed or crank the speed up a little bit. But there's so many variables. I mean, I wish I could break it down for you guys and, and kind of make it more, you know, for, for the average person to, to comprehend what to put out. You know, but basically a line counter, 50 pound power pro or a 50 pound grade. I'm not going to say one or the other. And I've switched all over the place. I think I'm using, uh, uh, oh, I don't even know what it's called now. 830, what is the stuff? Suffix? 832? Yep. Something like that. That stuff I really like. That's kind of, kind of grown partial of that. So I got that 50 pound grade put on my trolling stuff that I run depurators and, and actually believers, you know, a lot of guys don't run believers out here, but there's some, there's some crazy baits that work out here after dark. I know Jeff and Madison, we talk all the time at the shows. And when I do the, the musky schools, I do go up there and teach a Southern Wisconsin class. And we talk about different baits and all that stuff. And it's, it's pretty much, you know, every, every lake's got its quirks, but realistically, it, it's the lure that you know very well. I tell people to go out, Go find an area on the lake that's nice, sandy, a 15-foot deep, big, long area. I don't care what lake you're on. It doesn't matter if there's muskies in it or not. Find a lake where it's 15-foot deep and sandy and let out, you know, 30 feet of line. Hold that rod tip in the water and just watch it. If it don't bang bottom, let out 40 feet of line. Okay, a little, a little more, 45 feet of line. All of a sudden, the rod starts bouncing backwards. Okay, you're hitting bottom. At that speed, with that amount of line out, you just got your lure. You know what depth that's going to be. Now, the other critical thing, I put my rod tips in the water. So my down rods are going straight down, right down the side of my boat, straight down. They're five and a half feet below the surface before the lure even comes out of the rod tip. So my lure is, my rod tip is, it's actually deeper than that. But with the bend of the rod, I'm saying it's five feet down before that line comes out of the rod. The reason I do this is I can make sharp turns. Try to make a sharp turn with none of your rod tips that deep down. Now your, your, your line could be cut by the kicker motor because that kicker motor is only two feet in the water. And if you got your rod tip down, foot and a half, two feet in the water, you make a sharp turn, where's that line going to be? Right where your kicker motor is going to be. So I just figured this, this little 
DOL is that I take my two inside rods and I put them straight down. So now I got one on either side of my 620 straight down in the water. They're a little bit tipped out. But that also gets that lure five feet underneath the surface and that much closer to my target depth with less slide. Now my outside rod, so I got 10-foot outside rod, that rod, I can let more line out to get it at that same depth. Now I got a one-two punch. I got the first lure coming through, and then another lure only four or five feet off to the side of it, farther away from my boat. That lure is coming through at almost the same depth. So what I do is I do a one-two punch. I put a, a smaller bait or a larger bait. Like it, 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 it has, it, it's weird. Sometimes it works better if you put the larger bait closer to the boat and you follow it up by a little bait farther back. But most of the time, I run a little bait and then a larger bait, and then the muskies think that larger bait is chasing the little bait, so he eats the big bait. It's just weird how it works. Like, there's little patterns that you figure out like that, and it's really critical to figure out exactly how deep your lure It's amazing. The people I take out that have no clue how exactly deep they're, they're running. Because I'll ask them, well, what do you normally run? Well, usually I run 50 feet of line out on this one and that one. And I go, well, how deep is it? Well, I don't know. So I go out and actually every lure, anytime there's like new lures coming out, like the 22 short, when that came out and I still got, I got some from Chris and Matt, I took that lure and I studied that lure and I studied speeds and I studied line length and, and everything. Now, every line length that I do, you got to remember, I got one for a board when I use boards. I get another one for the out rod, which is two feet down. And then I get another one for my inside rod, which is five feet underneath the surface. So all three of them rods are going to have different line lengths on the lure if I got that lure at the same depth. You kind of follow what I'm saying? I They're have, all going to be different yep. line lengths, but I got them at the right depth. But now you got to know, okay, three miles an hour. And here it's picky. Why? In, in late June, early July, they like that that three three one, maybe three two, and then as the water heats up, it's three five, three six, three eight, maybe four. It's weird how that works, but all them variables make a difference on your line line. So, and every lure, every time there's a lure, you got to study the lure, find out how much line it takes to get out at this depth, at that depth. What I do is I, I figure out twelve foot. 15 foot, 18 foot. Them are the three that I run. So those are kind of like my three. And then if I got, you know, I don't generally run any deeper than 18 foot on my lures. Usually don't have to. Now, if I need to go a little deeper than 18 foot, you know, maybe I could go an extra 10, 15 feet. I'll play around with it. But I don't have a spot where I can, you know, like a 20 foot act where I can figure it out. What I do is when I when I when I'm just about ready to to bring in my my lures. Now I don't put lures out and not check them for an hour. Basically, when I put lures out within a half an hour, I'm bringing all four of them lures in and checking them for weeds because we got coontail that's growing up from the bottom, and there's some there's some sand grass and stuff. You can pick that stuff up on your lure without getting it on from floating. So you have to check your base a lot. So what I do is I slide in to shallower water on purpose. Say maybe I just slide into like 16 foot or maybe 100 yards. Okay. Now I don't get any shallower than 16 foot. And then I, when I bring the lures up, okay, there's two reasons I do this. One, 
bottom contact triggers strikes. So I'm going to take that lure and bang the bottom a little bit because I know I'm going to bring that lure in and clean it anyway. So I might as well take advantage of the situation, do a bunch of bottom contact, and it's kicking up sand and mud and, and the fish trigger on that. Okay. Two, when I bring the lure in, if I don't see any snails or, or shells or, or debris on the lure, I'm not getting as deep as I thought I was. So that's how I, I kind of keep track of where my baits are and, and all the stuff and I encourage people to do the same thing. You know, I mean, why not? You're going to bring the lures in and clean them. Why not, like, maybe run up to a point that, you know, this point sticks out and it's only 16, 17 foot deep and you're running, say, seven, 16, 17, 18, and 19 feet. That's the four lures I'm running. Why not just crash them on that bar? 17 foot, boom, 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 going across. How many times I've picked up fish doing that? You know, and I was releasing the fish. You look at the lure, and there's a snail on it. Well, that lure was banging the bottom when that fish picked it up. You know, so there goes that theory that fish always look up, don't go below them. A lot of times these fish are right on the bottom or right on structure. You come banging that thing through like a crayfish skipping along the bottom, they can't take it. You know, that's, that's a huge trigger. You don't hear about, you know, people don't write about that much, but that's a huge trigger. Works really good around here. So that's one of the things that works really good. And knowing where your bait is, is a number one huge. You know, color comes into play. Since we started doing walleye for tomorrow here, me and my brother and a whole crew of us got a Pewaukee chapter made, and we took this lake to unbelievable amounts of walleye right now. And it was eight years ago, there was three years straight, we did not see a walleye over, 15, over 18 inches, or under 18 inches, not one. Now it's absolutely loaded because, well, this year and last year, we couldn't put any in. So our hatchery will be up and going in April next year, and we'll, be, we'll continue on. But the lake's loaded with walleye, so there's a lot of lures that are walleye-colored right now that are working really good that really haven't worked in past years that are coming into play right now. So that's food for thought that people, for people that haven't fished Iwaki a lot, Think about using walleye colored lures. Walleye, smallmouth colored, anything brown, browns and yellows and stuff like that, sucker colored. That's really coming into play the last few years. That smallmouth bass, that $9 bass that you got from Bill Schwartz, your custom color, yep. kicking this year. Nobody would buy that lure because you look at it and it's like, oh, is that thing ugly, but oh, is that thing kicking fish? That definitely... thing, has five bucks each. Yeah, I've seen some pictures out of it, that's for sure. I was going to say, I've had five muskies on one trip. Four of the five came off that one day. I only had one out. <laughs> so I might have to scoop up a couple more of those things. I know You're a doing a fine job in that line. You bet. For people that are learning about trolling, the one thing I learned when I was trolling is I read a book, uh, Buck Perry Spoon Plugging. I didn't do it necessarily sure. to learn about the spoon plugging itself, but it basically talks about depth control and speed control. And those are the two Absolutely. main things that you talked about here. And you can't you can't talk about enough. Those are the key components when you're when you're trolling is Yeah, I wish yeah. I would have read that book. Everyone talks about it and I've never read it, but everything that I believe is echoed exactly from what he says. From right. what everyone tells me. Well the thing yeah, is is it, it's more relating towards bass because that's primarily what he's targeting. Sure. But you can sure. you can use a lot of it towards muskies. I Oddly enough, I don't know if it was coincidental or whatever, but my best season I ever had trolling, and that was when I, I, 
I also spent most of the season trolling because I was determined to learn how to troll. My best season came when I was reading that book. And, you know, I don't know if it's because the information was fresh in my head and it's got a lot of different thoughts on, you know, fish transitions and different things like that. It's just if you have spare time and you can find the book yet, check it out. Buck Perry Spoon Plugging. It'll help you. Yeah, that's a great book. A lot of guys have talked about it. Absolutely. And it's that's the whole thing. I mean, it's depth control, speed control. They two go into hand to hand. And a lot of people... They just like, ah, trolling's easy. It's way more complicated than casting. I mean, casting, you know, if you're going to throw out rubber, you just count. Count it down, rip it back. It's pretty easy. You know, I mean, not, I shouldn't say easy because that's, that's a young man's game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, ripping that, I mean, I'll do it, but, you know, it's, it's not as pleasurable as it used to be. You know, I'd rather fish weed lines and stuff like that, you know, or, Anyways. So if we're talking summer trolling speeds, I know we talked to we talked to a lot of people. We talked to guys out east in Minnesota and everywhere mm-hmm. in between. The guys out east are always wanting to go flying. I mean, they're doing four, four and a half, five miles an hour. Seems like us. I've talked about it before. Us Wisconsin guys, we're slower typically. Why is that? What are I just don't get it. what okay. are you looking at when you're trolling speeds? Do you ever do much of that five mile an hour stuff or not? Um, no, I don't. And there's one of my buddies, Jim Dumbeck, he's, he's, he's a little more of a speed freak just because it works good in Canada. You know, he's had, he's had some good stuff, but Jim probably experiments more than I do. I generally don't go over far and, you know, fishing a PMTT and, and they'll get beat by guys doing 4.3, 4.4, you know, and we're right next to them pushing four, and it's like, man, if I just went a little faster. Lutzberg, he said, you had the right lure on, you had the right line length out, he goes, you just weren't going fast enough. I'll never forget it. I mean, he said it, I watched him win the tournament right in front of us. We caught one, we placed, but we didn't. He won right in front of me on the same lure, and I watched him catch a fish, and 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, I watched him put his line out, and then he clicked it, and I'm like, all right, let's figure out what he's doing. So I put mine in, 1,001, 1,002, and I clicked it. I looked, 45 feet of line. Same, and I asked him, he said, 45 feet of line. Then he goes, you weren't going fast enough. We were going just a little quicker. Hmm. Are you kidding me? The same lure, the same line length, he was going just a little quicker. So, yeah, speed does make a difference. Us Wisconsin guys, why? I don't know. I just, you know, and I got no problem going faster. I mean, hell, you cover more water. That's just better, you know? And then, you know, back in the day in 2000, when I, you know, bought my boat and started fishing the PMPT, Dale Wiley came out here and he lit up the lake in the, in, in the narrows and trolling faster than I do. You know, and I couldn't catch him. He beat me, you know, it's on my own lake. So I don't know. You know, I, I generally, I start out low threes and I kind of get to midsummer the heat. I am like mid three. Mid threes, uh, probably 37, 3.7, 3.8. I generally, if I hit four miles an hour, I'm backing off. Why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe my lures ain't doing what I think they're doing and I'm fishing too deep. You know, there is more to it than than I know, but I do know that when I run roughly around three and a half on average, I'd say a summer trolling speed would be 3.5 now. I go a little quicker when it's calmer out because the fish moves deeper and my lures will go a little deeper and a little more reactive. And if it's really choppy, 
you know, there's times where actually, if you're going into the wind, you're actually going a little slower. And then if you're going downwind, you're going a little quicker. And I do both. So if I catch them going upwind, I'm generally going slower. So then I kind of target that speed. So I just go with what works on the lake that I'm on. Now, every lake's a little different. You know, um, Okachi Lake, for one, it just seems like bigger baits and a little quicker works better. Why? I don't know. You know, is it because there's there's more Cisco's and, and bigger fish that are living in the deep open water and they're they're used to chasing them fish down that are probably a little quicker? Maybe. I don't know. Pewaukee is mainly, uh, you know, a panfish lake. So none of them really fly too fast. And maybe that's the reason. It just seems a little slower. But I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I should ask a couple of the Madison guys, you know, what, what theirs are. But everyone, you know, it only depends. Every lure, basically every lure has got its sweet spot. If you put a lure in the water, I don't care what lure it is. Keep cranking the speed up, keep cranking the speed up. And when you see that lure start kicking side to side, which I call wander, once that lure starts wandering, that's the optimum speed where I want to run that lure. Now, can it run faster? Yeah, I can run faster and maybe not. Someone like Bagley's, you can't even run a Bagley at three and a half miles an hour. It's blowing out of the water. They just don't run that fast. So, I, I don't know. You know, it, that's a really good question and it's something that I haven't figured out. When I found to be good for me was 3.5, 3.8, maybe at the most. That that works the best. Now, early in the season, when you first start trolling and you're working weed lines, I don't like going much over three. And then there's guys I know that go, that don't even go three in July. They're like two, eight, two, nine, maybe three. And they've caught more fish than me one night. I can't figure it out. Why? How could they have caught more? I'm running the same damn baits. You know, some days they just seem like they want it slower than some days. Like Jim, Jim generally runs a few tenths faster than me on average. You know, and Abe Lang, he runs a few tenths slower than me on average. So between Jim, me, and Abe, we kind of run different speeds, and, you know, every dog's got his day. But it just seems like, I don't know. So look, the mid threes has just been my favorite. So if I had to pick one speed to go, it'd be three five. Sure, makes sense. I was just curious about speed if you really dialed it up yet or not, because it's just something like everybody tried. keeps talking about. Uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen Jim going well over four. You know, I mean, well over because we, I mean, we pass each other sometimes just on a given a trip. You know, my trips are five hour trips, and then. He'd be out for probably the same five or four, five, six hours, you know, and then there'd be three or four times where we were fairly close together, and he was he's consistently faster than I am. I don't know, you know, it's a hard thing to say. I mean, he's his speed thing was he did really good up in Canada in October when you should not be able to run over four miles an hour, and he went up there and lit him up, but. You know, that's, that's something that works from up there and that carries over wherever you fish. So I don't know. I don't know why I've talked to Greg Thomas. I've talked to a lot of guys from all over the place and in a bunch of different States, you know, fishing a PMTT, you're talking to all kinds of people about different stuff. And it's weird how speeds down South or out East 
are way faster. Yeah. Just on average. Unless it's late. You know, when I went out to Quebec and fish for uh, the Ottawa and stuff and caught some giants out there, that was slow. But we're talking the end of October. You know, and then we're giant baits and giant fish. So maybe they're just a big bait. They're like slower. So I don't know. That's, you know, I, I don't think I, I think we were only traveling, traveling probably low twos, low to mid twos. Yeah, pop of 57 by 27. Ugh, how come you can't keep going on that? You know, right. But it's just water. It's water. You know, the it, water temperature is huge. That's that dictates pretty much what I'm doing. Now, when I'm looking for fish, I want to know where the bluegills are. are. Are they off the beds yet? Are they moving out? Because when they start moving out, when they're off the beds and start moving out, and you get a heat wave like kicked in on us here, them fish slid out really fast. And when they move out, they're stupid. I mean, they're they haven't seen crankbaits, and it's just, they just think it's it's easy picking. Just swim around out there and gobble, 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 and it's just easy to catch them. What's funny is is the northern pike will start a week early. And then once the pikes start biting really good, the muskies are right behind them. And it's so strange how every year it's the same way. It's like, all right, next week they're going to rock. And they do. It's crazy. You fish a body of water as much as I do. I mean, basically, I was launching twice a day for, before this hit, probably for eight weeks straight. You know, every day, twice a day. You know, it's pretty easy to get on these fish and know right where they are and what they're doing and, you know, the problem was most of the people that come out, they only come out on the weekend. And from one weekend to another, there's a huge change sometimes, especially this year. Those guys they came out that we were just slamming them in Taylor's Bay. And then within one week, and we had all those really hot upper 80s and no wind. Within one week, that bite in Taylor's just died. It was crazy. I took a father-son out there, bought the kid out of cast, took two casts, I took one. Helped the kid with the second cast. They just showed him how to pull the rod handle as you fling the other part. You, you, you use both hands instead of just like taking a swing like a bat. You know, you just use the rod length. You pull the bottom of the handle in as you're pushing the front out and send it out there. Well, then he goes here. I go, I go here. Take a good cast out. Sure. And I'm like, you know, you just set that they had a drag. So he doesn't really have to thumb it. So when the lure hits the water, it's going to stop. That kid sailed that thing on. I said, awesome. Good job. Start cranking. I turned to grab her next rod. He goes, I got one. He says, it's a 43. That <laughs> is basically his first cast. But within one week, them fish were pretty much gone from that area. Uh, later that day, I think that was right away in the morning. Yeah, it was the first thing. His, his first cast. The dad didn't even take a cast yet. Then about 9 o'clock, we just weren't seeing fish. And I said, you know what? It's a little early to troll, but let me see if I could. So I just went down the wee lines and I caught his dad a 38. So it was pretty cool. We got one trolling and we got one casting. And pretty much after that, I started adding the trolling in. And I'm like, wow, is there a fish out here already? I pretty much just put the casting stuff away and started trolling. I mean, I don't care what it takes to catch fish. Whatever works, that's fine with me. You know, guys that say, yeah, trolling's easy, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'd much rather teach people casting than trolling. Because trolling, they're going to kick back in the boat, all comfortable, kick their feet up, and just watch my graph and watch what I do and learn how to do it. But they don't have to do no work. I'm going to keep the boat on structure. I'm going to watch for weeds. I'm going to clean rods. I'm going to change baits. I'm going to put this, that, 
all while trying to stay on structure and, and not get them into weeds. You know, if you troll a little too shallow, you're picking up weeds on your lures, then you got to clean them. Watch out for them two boats in front of you. Watch some guys passing over there. There's a lot of shit going on trolling. A lot of stuff. Absolutely. Sorry. Speaking of tactics out there, one last thing. We try to keep these two, sure. you know, hour, hour and a half, somewhere in that ballpark. But anyway, there used to be a Bondi bait jigging bite out there on Pewaukee. Is that still something that still exists? That was so good. I was just say it was great for like two or three years. Then what happened was we had musky. Well, there's a, a bunch of us that get together, okay? And we go out and fish. Well, everyone, the... I, there's a few guys that were really good at it that started it that really kind of no one else was doing it. And I'm good friends with them guys. So as I'm going by, I'm catching them trolling. And these guys are, are trying to catch them jigging. And it just happens to be one of these sites where everybody's out. And I'm just watching everyone doing it. And there's certain guys that were just, they had the right rip up. There was just a certain little thing. And then I started doing it. First night I did it. I caught the biggest fish. I'm like, hey, this is pretty easy. So, I mean, it was fun doing it. But what happened was so many people started doing it that it just actually this year, I only know of one fish that was caught on a body. And I know guys that religiously do it. I mean, Craig, he can't get it up. That's all he wants to do. He just, he just can't get it up. He's just, that's all Craig does. We sent him out on a trip with John Bondi and, he for a full day, and then he paid for another day, and him and John got to be friends, went over to John's house, and uh, he hooked me up with baits. And, I mean, it's an awesome tactic, but it's it's funny how it, how it worked so good, and then it didn't, and then this year, it's been a struggle. For the guys that I know that have been doing it, it's been a struggle. It still works, but it's almost like the fish get conditioned. It's, you know, everyone talks about Conditioned fish, ah, they don't get conditioned. They kind of do. It's like when the depredators were really good back in the day, everybody ran the depredators. And then the fish kind of got conditioned, and now they're kind of hitting on depredators again because people are kind of getting away from it. There's all these other baits coming out. People are using different baits now, and you know what? Some of them old-school baits, they still work. So it's, it's the, the bondy thing is still working. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good tactic to use. And actually, Smokey's is loaded with them right now. They just got a big order in. And it's, it's a great tactic. The only thing I don't like about Bondi's, I mean, I love using them and they're great. And they're, they're actually, one of my tactics that I do is I troll. Then we come across an area where I see four or five muskies in a real short area. I stop the boat immediately and go and pull in the trolling rods. I turn the boat around 180 and I got my trolling motor, and I go back through it, and I'll jig up a couple of those fish. Because it's, it's just a fun way to catch them. And if you're trolling, you drive through these fish so fast that they get a look at your lure, and it's gone. Now, to put a bondy on, you're basically teasing them, and you're watching them on the graph actually come up for it. You can see them on the graph, lift the bait up, give it a couple of jerks, give jerk, here they are right on it, give it a quick snap up, and they come up and blast it. They think it's trying to get away. So you can actually watch it. It's like a video game on how they do it. We would have did that if you would have came down or if you could have came down, we would have did it because that's like that one kind of a one, two punch tactic. It's a great colon to find them. Once you find a numbers of them, then you set up on them and you beat them up. Now you're, you're pushing that up. Just getting off the thing. Say you're trolling 
and you come through a whole bunch of bait fish in this area. Okay, now in Pewaukee, I can do the east, the western basin of the lake. It takes me about an hour and a half to do one circle around the western basin, running a break. Say so you're going down the south shore, and it's loaded with bait. The wind's been blowing in there for three days. Loaded with bait. You go down there, you get through it, you don't get one. You start coming back on the north shore, and you're not marking much at all. Now, do you go back on that bait? Or do you continue down the north shore, you work the structure, where there was fish yesterday and the day before, before the wind changed? Okay? What would most people say? Let's go back on that bait, right? Common sense, wouldn't you think? Let's yep. go back where all the bait is and the fish are back there. Yep. I've actually caught more fish fishing the other side because what happens is the bait moves out, but the fish are still related to that structure and they don't have as much food there. You start coming down there and it only just takes me another half an hour and I'm going to be back to that other area. So I'll just continue down here. What I do is I do a lap around the big lake. I see where all the bait is, see where everything's set up now. I know from yesterday and the day before and maybe the morning before or whatever, I know where all the fish kind of were. And if they're not there, the bait's not there, there's still fish there because that's kind of their hunt. People, you don't have a fish from the north shore of a lake from all the way across the lake to the other side of the lake to set up on that shoreline. They don't do that. All they do is they slide out a little deeper or slide down the break or whatever. They're still in that area. But if the bait moves way out, there's less fish for them to eat. And it's actually easier to catch them. So I always, <laughs> I always ask people, what do we fish? Do you fish the structure or do you fish where the bait is? You know, and I'm, trust me, if I go through an area and there's a lot of bait and I score, I'm going to turn around and go right back through that again. I had one time I, I launched out at Smokey's and a buddy who lived down on the west end of the lake and uh, he called me just as I got out. He goes, what are you doing? I said, yeah, just put the boat in the water. I'm going to run down that north shore. And he goes, well, cooking some burgers and let's come over and grab a beer and a burger. I said, that's an awesome idea. I'll be there in 20 minutes. He goes, all right. He called me a little over an hour later. What are you doing? I said, I'm still trying to get down to your shoreline. What do you mean? I said, well, I set up in the narrows and I, I came down to North shore and I caught one. So I came back and I started it again and I got another one. Then I came back and started it again and I got another one. I had seven muskies and I didn't even make it down the North shore of Pewaukee Lake. But, it was loaded with fish. We had an east wind blowing all the all the weeds and all the debris from the east end of the lake all the way down to North Shore, and they were just stacked in there. So, will I beat up an area if it's got fish? Yeah, but generally, you can you know, and that's what seven muskies and in an hour. You think about how fast that was. That's crazy. That's uh, when they're stacked in there, that's how you gotta you gotta read the water. What wind has been blowing? How long? What direction? All that makes a difference. You know, fishing is, you know, to, to go out and catch one is one thing, but uh, to duplicate that pattern and get another and another, you have to know what happened the day before. What happened that morning? What was the wind, you know, for the last three days or whatever? Well, there's, there's a lot to musky fishing. A lot to it. Absolutely. So, yep. Sorry for rambling, but, you know, if it helps people better understand the situation they get in. You know, you go up on a lake and you got a vacation, you watch what that weather is on that lake for two to three days before your vacation. If the wind changes every day, okay, it's not going to matter. But say you had four days of an east wind, you get up there on a west wind, well, I'm going to go work the wind. No, 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 no. You go work yesterday's wind that first day because that wind blew for four days that one direction. So you go work that side of the lake 
It may be calm now, but it pounded in there for four days. Go work that. And then the next day, go to the other side. So there's a lot to it. There's a lot of cool stuff with musky fishing. I, sometimes you wonder why you dive for muskies. I mean, it's not a harder fish to catch. Who on earth would want to dive for muskies when they're so damn hard to catch? And I hope, like, it's the reward thing. It's just to figure it out and get a deer sitting there looking at me. I'm standing outside because it's cooler. Like a deer in my clover pot right here looking at me. wondering why I'm out here talking. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, wow. Beautiful. Not, not only you wonder why you guide for him, but you also just wonder why you musky fish for him in general. You know, it's just. It's just because it's hard. It's, yep. just, it's, it's a hard fish to figure out. And they're, they're just moody. There's times where they just don't want to eat. I mean, how many, like that, when I was saying before, I went by a fish four different times before I got that fish to eat. You know, that fish just got sick of them lures in his face. And he just, it got soft and it just, it just lacked one of them. Eventually just got soft. Cause I mean, I was running that lure within three feet of that fish's face. I mean, within, within an arm's reach of that fish every time I came through, cause it was right on the break, right on the break. And I was running right down that edge. And I know that lure was right there, you know, and the first time, the second time, the third time, and then the fourth time finally it hit. So it's, it's crazy. It's just a crazy fish, you know? So who knows? Like you're saying, you, you try speed, you try color, you know, depth, different lures. But certain lures, I, I am one, when I go, like if I fish a tournament or something like that, I'm not a guy that's going to have 20 lures on the boat. I mean, if I'm going to fish the tournament and I do my homework, I will have four rods set up and I'll probably fish over half the tournament on the baits that are on those rods. It's just, just a confidence thing and, and the right lure at the right time, you know, if you got four different baits, that pretty much covers everything. Now, like the Bondi thing. I mean, that's just a great bait that's always rigged up in my boat, but I'm trolling. You know, and well, wait a minute, if you're trolling, why do you got Bondi bait? Just for that reason, if you see two, three, four fish stacked up in an area, drop it down there. You know, tease them. So, I've had some giants on bodies. The only thing I don't like about them is when you set the hook, you got to reel down and set the hook hard again. You got a big bait with giant hooks, and you're pounding it into their mouth. Because if you don't, when they sink their teeth into that rubber, it's really hard to keep them hooked. But it's very hard on them. Very hard on the fish. So, and it's fishing hard on them in general. But I honestly believe that trolling is a lot easier on the fish than a lot of people think because most of these fish are hooked by the back hook. You know, one treble hook in their mouth, reach down with the pliers, pop that hook out, don't even use a net. Fish are fine. You know, and usually when you got a bigger bait, bigger hook, you're pounding them and then as fast as you can get them in the net, it's fine. But with a trolling lure and, and long rods, where's the fish going to go? You had a 10-foot rod in your hand with good drag on it. You know, the fish ain't going to spit the lure. You got a good bend in the tip. That's the other thing that I didn't mention with trolling. Always get a rod with a little give in the tip. The reason being is when a fish comes up to grab that lure and to suck that lure in, you want that, that tip to, be, to give a little bit. Now, when I go to a copolymer line, it does have a little bit of stretch in it, but not much. Now, super line has zero stretch. So if you've got a stiff rod 
and super line. You better hope that fish comes up and just crushes that lure. But in the spring, I shouldn't say spring, but early season tolling, like late June, they don't come up and crush it. They come up and just suck it in. So I like a rod that's got a little bit of flex in it. Now, ones that use actually are they're discontinued with Cabela's and Bass Pro teaming up. They got rid of what, what actually the favorite rod I got is it's called a Walleye Extreme Angler. They're actually a planer board rod that Keith Tizavat, Gary Parsons designed. Awesome rod. $120 rod. You could beat the piss out of them for years, you know, and they're great. They take a beating, but they discontinue and we can't get them. I got two clients that want to get set up for trolling, two different clients, and I have no idea what rods to buy them. I guess I'm just going to have to go and start looking. I've been looking at all the musky shows and all the different rods, and I really don't know what to go, you know, what to go with. You know, anyone that's got any ideas that listens to your podcast, give me a call. I'm open for suggestions. Send me an email or a text. I'd be happy to uh, to help promote someone's rod. If I could find a rod that actually has got a little give in the tip. It just seems like it's really important. Otherwise, you get rip, rip. You hear this little rip, and it's gone. Someone's out. Ah, yeah, I just missed one. You know, and it seems like when I went to that softer chip because it's a planer board rod. You know, so it, it it's made to pull around planer boards. So it's, it's got good backbone, but that tip has got some bend in it, some flip in it. Ever since I went to them rods, made a big difference. The sure. has been good, but can't can't get them anymore. They're discontinued. Two years ago. Uh, if I'd have known that, I'd have probably bought at least 10 of them. Well, if I ever get a shot to come down and fish with you yet this summer, I got, got some, I got some of the Chaos Assault Stick trolling rods. You can check those out. I, I like them. I, 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 I mean, I like them. They just weren't soft enough for me. Sure. You know, if they, if they were just a little softer on, like a three-guy bend on the tip, that's all I'm looking for. I had them. I mean, I, I talked to them. I was with Rick and... and uh, Mike was there. Mike Olson was there, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm testing them. I'm having to hold them, and you know, it just yeah, I like I like to see them. You know, maybe with some line on it and in the water. It just the tip, if if you looked at mine and looked at the at the chaos rod, I mean, it makes a great set. That that was the one I was hoping was going to be the one, and it just they were just a little. Now, are they too stiff? No, no, but I'm talking for some of the baits that I run, some of the smaller baits early in the season. You know, once they start running braid, and then it really doesn't matter as much anymore, like like right now. Actually, my whole setup from when I put the boat away back in July 2nd was my last guide trip. That night when I when I came home, I knew I wasn't going to be going for a while. And so all the rods went out, and they're hanging up in the garage on the ceiling until probably first week in June next year. So those are just the rods that I run smaller baits on earlier. You know, running little middle baits on them and stuff like that, trolling east end over weeds, all that stuff. 22 shorts, stuff like that. They work really good for that. You know, and then the bigger rods, heavier rods, they just, it just seems like once the fish are crushing them, they work better. You know, because I, I want more backbone and, you know, I just, it just seems like a, a heavier, better rod. So I'd be, I'd really like to check them out. You know, that's the ones that they had at the musty show that I saw. And I was like, it just seemed a little, a little stiff for me. Sure. So maybe though, but I got to come up with something pretty quick here. 
bright rods aren't getting any, they're not getting any younger and they get beat up pretty hard. You know, you got some rod tips in the water and, and there's times where there's so many floating weeds that I've already, you've actually, you actually have to drive to a spot where you can put your lures in the water. That's how bad the floaters get here right now. I mean, there's so many boats chewing up the weeds all over the lake and they just float all over the lake and there's not much you can do. I mean, there's, you're standing there, and even if you want to cast, you can't cast because there's nowhere to cast. If you cast the lure out, halfway through, you got weeds on your lure, and there's weeds between your lure and the boat. You know, it's just, it's, it sucks, but that's the reality of fishing around here. So just, there's just so much boat traffic. And with one end of the lake so thick with weeds, how do you, if you get an east wind for three or four days, all those weeds that have been chopped up for weeks on the east end just come and they float all over the western basin. And then the next day the wind changes to the north, so they start going to the south shore, and then it's the southwest. Now they start blowing back to the northeast, and they just blow around. My brother's in charge of all the weed cutting and pickup. They got, they got seven, seven cutters, that seven conveyor machines that go out and just pick up weeds and they got three or four cutters and a couple transports and a trailer that they drive around to unload weeds at different areas of the lake so they don't have to drive back uh, it's, uh, they, can't, they can't keep up if the weeds are floating all over the lake how do you pick them up you need two three days of the wind blowing all the one shoreline and all the weeds float to that shoreline and then they pick them all up but this year there's been like no wind and not a lot of, you know, there was some east winds for multiple days and just the lake got to be crazy, just loaded. So you got to drop them rods down in the water and then let the line out. That's why I want you to come down and jump in, not only to catch a bunch of fish and do some filming and have a blast and get some TRO customs chewed up on camera and all that stuff, but to see what we actually have to deal with down here. I'd be like, man, these weeds suck. Yeah. I've been down there a few it times. Is yep. Yeah, you, you kind of know what it's like. We were hoping, you know, and Billy Schwartz was hoping you get down, you know. Both of us were, were going to kind of try to get you out. And just basically, you were going to fish from the time you got here to the time you went back home. You know, whether you stayed out, you can stay right at my house. Hell, I mean, it's great. I'm two miles from the lake. Right. I don't think, I don't even, I can't even remember the last time I put tie downs on my boat. That's how much I fish right here on Pewaukee. Just, I just know the lake inside and out so well. All the years of fishing and, and then ice fishing, I'm out there constantly and I got underwater cameras and, you know, big ice mark them underwater cameras. So everything about the lake, you know, inside and out, you know, how do you go to other lakes? I mean, there isn't another lake that can compete with Pewaukee. It is in this area. It is hands down. No question. The best lake in the earth. By far. You know, I mean, for walleyes, for muskies, pike are phenomenal right now because the size limit just went to 32 inches on a pike. So there is so many pike between 30 and 35 inches in here right now. And I'm not talking snakes, you know, they're all pretty good pike. So there's a lot of action. You get a rip trolling, it's a northern. You get another rip, it's another northern. Oh, we got a muskie finally, you know, but shortly after that, then it's more muskies than northerns because the northerns even moved to deeper water. There's pike out here right now that are living in 18 foot of water and deeper for basically the rest of the summer. And you think pike could be on the weeds. 
but they don't. There's a lot of big pike that move deep out here. There's just a lot of food in the basin right now. You know, trolling the basin is, or jigging, is by far the best productive thing to do. Until probably the second week of September, maybe the first week of September, when we get a good cool down and everything gets dewy, then the fish come in. And then it's absolutely a blast because most of the time, when you get that first good cool down, a lot of the bigger fish slide in. And they slide all the way up to the inside edge of the weed because that's where the coolest spot is. Shallow water cools quicker. They're in that cool, nice water, and they know they can get in there. They'll slide in there at night, and then they'll slide out during the day in the morning, and then they'll come back in at night again, and pretty soon they stay in. So it's, it's amazing how these fish will actually, you get one or two good cool nights in the fall, you know, plus the, uh, the light is, is dropping. So the, the amount of daylight you're getting is dropped, so it kind of triggers stuff. But that bite in fall, when these fish move shallow, is an absolute blast. Throwing topwater, burning bucktails, and these fish have been out in deep water all summer. And when they come in, it is a blast because they are aggressive. And they're feeding, and they're really fat. Because right now, Pewaukee Lake muskies are the biggest overall this year. They are bigger and fatter than I've ever seen them. They are just eating machines right now. They're just really growing good. So that's one of the reasons I'm such a big advocate of getting off the water when it's hot like this. Because you can you catch them and let them go? Yeah. Are you hurting them? Guaranteed. Worse than normal? Yeah, for sure. So anytime you stress them out, then they go salt and they don't eat for a couple of days. Now that fish isn't going to grow like it should. You know, so give it a break. Give it a couple of weeks. Go do some work around the house. Go do, you know, go do that. It kills me to do it, but you know what? If my boat's at the launch and we got the waterfront bar right there and Smokey's Musky Shop right there and people see my boat out, you know, I'm going to smear a good name. So I'm the first one off and probably the last one to go back on just for that purpose is because just with everything on this lake, everything I've did my whole life is to make this lake better. With all the clubs and donating guide trips and everything else, it's just, you know, I, I just you just see how good people have been this year, not pounding them. And it just, the fish are just going to be, <laughs> we'll be rewarded for it. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like our walleyes for tomorrow thing. There is so many walleyes in Pewaukee Lake right now. It's plumb full, but it took seven years of us putting in nets, taking the eggs, fertilizing the eggs, putting them in our hatchery, hatching the eggs, and then putting them back in the lake. It took seven years of doing it, but now it's phenomenal. You can go out there and jig for walleyes and catch 10, 15. Me and Randy Pamper went out um, last year in the winter, and we caught 30 in like three hours, jigging and on tip-ups. You know, if we didn't do this, we could never have did that. So... That's a huge success story here on Pewaukee Lake with all the walleye. So everything is really starting to click here on Pewaukee Lake. You know, it's, that's a very good thing. Does it get a lot of pressure? Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Hey, Mike, I just want to thank you for coming out and taking some time to talk some muskies. About, uh, give us some information on Pewaukee Lake. Hopefully you guys can use it for that lake. But, you know, we just try to get you thinking outside the box and, 
it's possible you can even use it on your home water or up north or wherever just you know different tactics Absolutely. to uh, to, ch- to chase muskies so mike if anybody's looking to get in touch with you what's the best way to go about doing that uh, probably the best way would be uh with my cell phone 414-640-1642 or mike com. You know, if you, if you have a hard time finding me, it, you know, it, it's on the internet pretty easy. Just Google Pewaukee Muskie, and I'll pop up all over the place. But either my website or text me or, you know, give me a call, email. Um, that's on my website. You can get that. So anyway possible, be happy to help anyone out. You know, mark a map up for you. Give you the pointers. If you haven't been to the lake before, kind of give you a heads up. Um, you want to book a guide ship and more than happy to show you anything you need you know bring a gps bring whatever you want it's open book in my boat so i'm glad to help people out perfect well glad to help you out too man you're a hope, good big part of the musky world so hopefully we can make that happen yet this uh this summer and fall we'll get out uh get out together we've been talking about it for about five years and it just hasn't happened so it needs to. it's just you know, it's your, with everything you're doing and everything I'm doing, you know, I was just lucky enough that I had, you know, a, a day or two I could slip in. So that's why I was, when I make the call, right. you know, and I mean, I don't make the call until when it's rocking and I know it's rocking. That's when I want you to come down. Absolutely. You know, because you've caught plenty of fish just to come down and catch a fish or two. Yeah. But if we come down and we laid a smack down on them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where the fun begins. Right. No doubt. So, well, be happy to do it. Thanks again, so, Mike. We appreciate you coming right, out. Thanks, Take some time. You take care. You too. You bet. You need anything, let me know. Perfect. Thanks again, Mike. <laughs>